0: Chapter Eight of the Autobiography of a Slander by Edna Lyall. This is in the public domain. My triumphant finale. Words are mighty. Words are living serpents with their venomous stings, or bright angels crowding round us with heaven's light upon their wings. Every word has its own spirit, true or false, that never dies every word man's lips have uttered echoes in god's skies a a proctor my labours were now nearly at an end and being so to speak off duty i could occupy myself just as i pleased i therefore resolved to keep watch over zaluski in his prison for the first few hours after his arrest he was in a violent passion he paced up and down his tiny cell like a lion in a cage he was beside himself with indignation and the blood leapt through his veins like wildfire then he became a little ashamed of himself and tried to grow quiet and after a sleepless night he passed to the opposite extreme and sat all day on the solitary stool in his grim abode his head resting on his hands and his mind a prey to the most fearful melancholy the second night however he slept and awoke with a steady resolve in his mind it will never do to give way like this or i shall be in a brain fever in no time he reflected i will get leave to have books and writing materials i will make the best of a bad business he remembered how pleased he had been when gertrude had once smiled on him because when all others in the party were grumbling at the discomforts of a certain picnic where the provisions had gone astray he had gaily made the best of it and ransacked the nearest cottages for bread and cheese he set to work bravely now hoped daily for his release read all the books he was allowed to receive invented solitary games began a novel and drew caricatures in october he was again examined but having nothing to reveal it was inevitable that he could reveal nothing and he was again sent back to his cell to reflect i perceived that after this his heart began to fail him there existed in the house of preventive detention a system of communication between the luckless prisoners carried on by means of tapping on the wall. Sigismund, being a clever fellow, had become a great adept at this telegraphic system, and had struck up a friendship with a young student in the next cell. This poor fellow had been imprisoned three years, his sole offense being that he had in his possession a book of which the government did not approve, and that he was first cousin to a well-known nihilist. The two became as devoted to each other as Silvio Pellico and Count Doraboni, but it soon became evident to Valerian Vasilovich that unless Zaluski was released, he would soon succumb to the terrible restrictions of prison life. "'Keep up your heart, my friend,' he used to say. "'I have borne it three years, and am still alive to tell the tale.' "'But you are stronger both in mind and body,' said Sigismund, "'and you are not madly in love as I am.' And then he would pour forth a rhapsody about Gertrude, and about English life, and about his hopes and fears for the future, to all of which Valerian, like the brave fellow he was, replied with words of encouragement. But at length there came a day when his friend made no answer to his usual morning greeting. "'Are you ill?' he asked. For some time there was no reply, but after a while Sigismund rapped faintly the despairing words. "Dead beat." Valerian felt the tears start to his eyes. It was what he had all along expected, and for a time grief and indignation and his miserable helplessness made him almost beside himself. At last he remembered that there was at least one thing in his power. Each day he was escorted by a warder to a tiny square walled off in the exercising ground and was allowed to walk for a few minutes. HE WOULD TAKE THIS OPPORTUNITY OF BEGGING THE WARDER TO GET A DOCTOR FOR HIS FRIEND. BUT UNFORTUNATELY THE DOCTOR DID NOT THINK VERY SERIOUSLY OF Zaluski's CASE. IN THAT DREARY PRISON HE HAD PATIENTS IN THE LAST STAGES OF ALL KINDS OF DISEASE, AND SIGISMUND, WHO HAD BEEN IN CONFINEMENT TOO SHORT A TIME TO LOOK AS ILL AS THE OTHERS, DID NOT RECEIVE MUCH ATTENTION certainly the doctor admitted his lungs were affected probably the sudden change of climate and the lack of good food and fresh air had been too much for him so the solemn force ended and he was left to his fate if i were indeed a nihilist and suffered for a cause which i had at heart he telegraphed to valerian i could bear it better but to be kept here for an imaginary offence to bear cold and hunger and illness all to no purpose that beats me there can't be a god or such things would not be allowed to me it seems said valerian that we are the victims of violated law others have shown tyranny or injustice or cruelty and we are the victims of their sin don't say there is no god there must be a god to avenge such hideous wrong so they spoke to each other through their prison wall as men in the free outer world seldom care to speak and i who knew no barriers looked now on valerian's gaunt figure and brave but prematurely old face now on poor zaluski who in his weary imprisonment had wasted away till one could scarcely believe that he was indeed the same lithe active fellow who had played tennis at mrs McCourtenay's garden party day and night valerian listened to the terrible cough which came from the adjoining cell it became perfectly apparent to him that his friend was dying he knew it as well as if he had seen the burning hectic flush on his hollow cheeks And heard the panting hurried breaths and watched the unnatural brilliancy of his dark eyes at length he thought the time had come for another sort of comfort my friend he said one day it is too plain to me now that you are dying write to the procurator and tell him so in some cases men have been allowed to go home to die A wild hope seized on poor Sigismund. He sat down to the little table in his cell and wrote a letter to the procurator, a letter which might have almost drawn tears from a flint. Again and again he passionately asserted his innocence and begged to know on what evidence he was imprisoned. He began to think that he could die content if he might leave this terrible cell, might be a free agent once more, if only for a few days. At least he might in that case clear his character, and convince Gertrude that his imprisonment had all been a hideous mistake. Nay, he fancied that he might live through a journey to England and see her once again. But the procurator would not let him be set free, and refused to believe that his case was really a serious one. Sigismund's last hope left him. The days and weeks dragged slowly on, and when, according to English reckoning, New Year's Eve arrived, he could scarcely believe that only seventeen weeks ago he had actually been with Gertrude, and that disgrace and imprisonment had seemed things that could never come near him, and death had been a far-away possibility, and life had been full of bliss as I watched him, a strong desire seized me to revisit the scenes of which he was thinking, and I winged my way back to England and soon found myself in the drowsy, respectable streets of Muddleton. It was New Year's Eve, and I saw Mrs. O'Reilly preparing presents for her grandchildren and talking as she tied them up of that dreadful nihilist who had deceived them in the summer. I saw Lena Houghton and mr Blackthorne and mrs milton cleeve kneeling in church on that friday morning praying that pity might be shown upon all prisoners and captives and all that are desolate or oppressed it never occurred to them that they were responsible for the sufferings of one weary prisoner or that his death would be laid at their door i flew to dulminster and saw mrs selden kneeling in the cathedral at the late evening service and rigorously examining herself as to the shortcomings of the dying year she confessed many things in a vague untroubled way but had any one told her that she had cruelly wronged her neighbour and helped to bring an innocent man to shame and prison and death she would not have believed the accusation I sought out Mark Shrewsbury. He was at his chambers in Pump Court, working away with his typewriter. He had a fancy for working the old year out and the new year in, and now he was in the full swing of that novel which had suggested itself to his mind when Mrs. Selden described the rich and mysterious foreigner who had settled down at Ivy Cottage. Most happily he labored on, never dreaming that his careless words had doomed a fellow man to a painful and lingering death, never dreaming that while his fingers flew to and fro over his dainty little keyboard, describing the clever doings of the unscrupulous foreigner, another man, the victim of his idle gossip, tapped dying messages on a dreary prison wall. For the end had come. Through the evening Sigismund rested wearily on his truckle-bed. He could not lie down because of his cough, and since there were no extra pillows to prop him up, he had to rest his head and shoulders against the wall. There was a gas-burner in the tiny cell, and by its light he looked round the bare walls of his prison with a blank, hopeless, yet wistful gaze. There was the stool, There was the table, there were the clothes he should never wear again. There was the door through which his lifeless body would soon be carried. He looked at everything lingeringly, for he knew that this desolate prison was the last bit of the world he should ever see. Presently the gas was turned out. He sighed as he felt the darkness close in upon him, FOR HE KNEW THAT HIS EYES WOULD NEVER AGAIN SEE LIGHT, KNEW THAT IN THIS DARK, LONELY CELL HE MUST LIE AND WAIT FOR DEATH. AND HE WAS YOUNG, AND WISHED TO LIVE, AND HE WAS IN LOVE, AND LONGED MOST TERRIBLY FOR THE PRESENCE OF THE WOMAN HE LOVED. THE AWFUL DESOLATENESS OF THIS CELL WAS MORE THAN HE COULD ENDURE. HE TRIED TO THINK OF HIS PAST LIFE. HE TRIED TO LIVE ONCE AGAIN THROUGH THOSE HAPPY WEEKS WITH GERTRUDE, BUT ALWAYS HE CAME BACK TO THE ACHING MISERY OF THE PRESENT, THE COLD AND THE PAIN, AND THE DARKNESS AND THE TERRIBLE SOLITUDE. HIS NERVELESS FINGERS FELT THEIR WAY TO THE WALL, AND FAINTLY rapped A SUMMONS. blarion HE SAID, I SHALL NOT LIVE THROUGH THE NIGHT. Watch with me. The faint raps sounded clearly in the stillness of the great building, and Valerian dreaded lest the warders should hear them and deal out punishment for an offence which by day they were forced to wink at. But he would not for the world have deserted his friend. He drew his stool close to the wall, wrapped himself round in all the clothes he could muster, and shivering with cold kept watch through the long winter night i am near you he telegraphed i will watch with you till morning from time to time sigismund rapped faint messages and valerian replied with comfort and sympathy once he thought to himself my friend is better there is more power in his hand and indeed he trembled fearing that the sharp, emphatic raps must certainly attract notice, and put an end to their communion. Tell my love that the accusation was false—false! The word was vehemently repeated. Tell her I died broken-hearted, loving her to the end. I will tell her all when I am free, said poor Valerian. "'wondering with a sigh when his unjust imprisonment would end. "'Do you suffer much?' he asked. "'There was a brief interval. "'Sigismund hesitated to tell a falsehood in his last extremity. "'It will soon be over. "'Do not be troubled for me,' he replied. "'And after that there was a long, long silence.' poor fellow he died hard and i wish that those comfortable english people could have been dragged from their warm beds and brought into the cold dreary cell where their victim lay fighting for breath suffering cruelly both in mind and body valerian listening in sad suspense heard one more faint word rapped by the dying man Farewell. God be with you, he replied, unable to check the tears which rained down as he thought of the life so sadly ended and of his own bereavement. He heard no more. Sigismund's strength failed him, and I, to whom the darkness made no difference, watched him through the last dread struggle. There was no one to raise him or hold him, no one to comfort him. Alone in the cold and darkness of that first morning of the year 1887, he died. Valerian did not hear through the wall his last faint gasping cry. But I heard it, and its exceeding bitterness would have made mortals weep. Gertrude, he sobbed. Gertrude, AND WITH THAT HIS HEAD SANK ON HIS BREAST, AND THE LIFE, WHICH BUT FOR ME MIGHT HAVE BEEN SO HAPPY AND PROSPEROUS, WAS ENDED. PROMPTED BY CURIOSITY, I INSTANTLY RETURNED TO MUDDLETON AND SOUGHT OUT GERTRUDE MORLEY. I STOLE INTO HER ROOM. SHE LAY ASLEEP, BUT HER DREAMS WERE TROUBLED and her face, once so fresh and bright, was worn with pain and anxiety. Scarcely had I entered the room when, to my amazement, I saw the spirit of Sigismund Zaluski. I saw him bend down and kiss the sleeping girl, and for a moment her sad face lighted up with a radiant smile. I looked again, He was gone. Then Gertrude threw up both her arms and with a bitter cry awoke from her dream. Sigismund, she cried. Oh, Sigismund, now I know that you are dead indeed. For a long, long time she lay in a sort of trance of misery. It seemed as if the life had been almost crushed out of her and it was not until the bells began to ring for the six o'clock service, merrily pealing out their welcome of the New Year morning, that full consciousness returned to her again. But as she clearly realized what had happened, she broke into such a passion of tears as I had never before witnessed. While still in the darkness the New Year's bells rang gaily, AND SHE KNEW THAT THEY HERALDED FOR HER THE BEGINNING OF A LONELY LIFE. AND SO MY WORK ENDED. MY PART IN THIS WORLD WAS PLAYED OUT. NEVERTHELESS I STILL LIVE, AND THERE WILL COME A DAY WHEN SIGISMUND AND GERTRUDE SHALL BE COMFORTED AND THE SLANDERERS PUNISHED. FOR POOR Valerian WAS RIGHT, AND THERE IS AN AVENGER, in whom even my progenitor believes and before whom he trembles there will come a time when those self-satisfied ones whose hands are all the time steeped in blood shall be confronted with me and shall realize to the full all that their idle words have brought about for that day i wait And though afterwards I shall be finally destroyed in the general destruction of all that is unmitigatedly evil, I promise myself a certain satisfaction and pleasure, a feeling I doubtless inherit from my progenitor, when I watch the shame and horror and remorse of Mrs. O'Reilly and the rest of the people to whom I owe my existence and rapid growth. End of my triumphant finale recording by Rhonda Fetterman End of the Autobiography of a Slander by Edna Lyall